0: an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. and imagine with me this scenario that you've just stepped
1: into or that you're already in a very dark space. There's many animals
0: and there's many creatures and there's a lot of animal noises and animal smells and it's really, really dark. Imagine that you can faintly smell food, dry foods, and that you hear things shuffling around. You hear hooves moving around. You hear legs moving around. But other than the sound of animals, it's really quiet. You're in an almost entirely dark space. And you hear animals mooing, neighing, baying. You hear things squeaking and chirping, and they're moving around almost like they sense the same thing you do. This is your first day in this space.
1: And you're gonna be here, all of you together for a very, very long time.
0: You know how when you get into a compressed space, You take a very long drive in the car, perhaps with yourself or perhaps with other people, and especially with other people, if there's someone else in the car, sometimes the time goes by really quickly. And depending on perhaps who you're in the car with for a 14-, 16-, 18-hour drive, it can seem much longer because you're in a confined space together. Or like when you get on an airline... And you take a long flight, not a short flight, two hours, what have you. A
1: long flight, 12 hours. Notice how it feels really long. This dark space, this large dark
0: space, is going to be your means of saving. Your means of Preservation, your means of salvation from God. But you have to be patient. This is what Noah and his family had stepped into. This is what Noah and his family
1: trusted God, obeyed God, and stepped into. And they had to be patient with God. Trusting God in this.
0: Holy Spirit, I invite you to fill up in us and speak to us your word today. Holy God, that you might illuminate the scriptures, that we might see more from you and understand more from you and know you better and know your love and know that sometimes you speak and it is clear and sometimes you speak and it is not specifically clearly understood to us but that in that, we still are to trust you and to wait on you and to be patient and to be
1: faithful to you. Pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. As you folks know, we've been
0: talking about the story of Noah now for two weeks. Today is the third. And then we'll have one more week on Noah, specifically next week. We left off last week, and if you have your Bibles, please open them to Genesis 7, starting today in verse 24, which is the last verse of chapter 7. So Noah and his family had entered the ark with all the animals that God had called him to enter the ark, and the waters had rained on the earth and welled up from underneath the earth for 40 days. So now we pick it up in Genesis chapter 7, verse 24. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. That's a long time, folks. So after it had rained for 40 days, now they prevailed on the earth or they were sustained on the earth. The earth was flooded. Or what is that, about five months? That's a long time when every day, basically feels the same because you're in the same space you're in this dark ship that had at least a window or some windows at the top but otherwise very dark chapter 8 but god remembered noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark god remembered folks god remembered And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. In the tenth month... On the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. But we know, because of this next verse, it was not fully dry. Verse 14, in the second month, On the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. So see, folks, the gap between verse 13 in the first month on the first day of the month and verse 14 in the second month on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. So even between these two verses, it was almost two months time, and they were still inside the ark. Verse 15, then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird Everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. By families, they went out. Well, two by two, they had entered the ark over a year earlier. So it kind of makes sense that even with the animals
1: and the creatures, they were now families. I.e., there were more of them. A lot more of them.
0: Something else I find fascinating here at the start is that in verse, ah, here we go, 11, God had already started before Noah and everyone exited the ark. God had already started vegetative growth back on the earth. The dove came back to Noah in the morning, excuse me, in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. This was before verse 13 and verse 14. So this was before the face of the ground was considered dry. This was before the earth had dried out, verse 14. God had already started his plan of provision for Noah, for the creatures. And we're going to get into his provision for food and abundance in later weeks, but God is already again preparing the way. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It says it started with God remembered at the start of chapter eight, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. God didn't just remember Noah, but Noah and his family, the humans are made in the image and likeness of God, Genesis 1, 27. But it says, God remembered the beasts and the livestock in the ark. See, the beasts and the livestock are still God's creation. Every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, all the birds who fly in the heavens, it says, or up in the sky. These are also God's creation. These are also to God. What does Genesis chapter 1 say? Good. And God's carrying through, God's preservation through the ark of these creatures. But how much more so for his children is good. It's part of his plan. God chooses his people and he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And God always has a plan to carry them through, to provide for them. He makes a way where there seems to be no way. God provides. He is our provider. And in his provision, as they knew he was their provider, it also required them to wait. Everyone on board the ark was forced to wait on God. And how long was that? That was for over one year. That's a long time. That's a very long time. That's a very long airplane flight. Of course, that's modern technology, but you get the example. It's a very long time to be in a very large ship with a lot of animals and a lot of animal smells,
1: a lot of animal noises, and to be patient. This is not the only the
0: only example of people waiting on the Lord in Scripture, of course. But it is a compressed, a very small space for this waiting. But with waiting, the people of Israel in Egypt waited on God to be delivered, and they pray for, prayed to God for deliverance from slavery in Egypt. And then the people of Israel had to wait for Moses 40 days while he was up on Mount Sinai. And because of their disobedience, they had to do it again. Because he threw down the tablets and he had to go back up on Mount Sinai another 40 days with God to receive the law again for the people. The people of Israel from disobedience were then forced to wait on God 40 years wandering the desert in Sinai. The people longed for thousands of years after that to see the Messiah for the Messiah's arrival, for Jesus to come. And for 2,000 years, we have waited for his return. And we must remember in all this waiting that with the Lord, one day is as 1,000 years. And a 1,000 years is one day, it says in 2 Peter 3.8. We must be faithful in the waiting. We must be patient. We must be patient. I think it's important for Christians to realize that not only must we be, we were made to wait on the Lord. It is in the waiting that our faith is made more fit. It's hardened like steel. James 1.4 says, Perseverance must finish its work. Why? So that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Waiting is relational. Especially long waiting, or long suffering, or or a long time of waiting. How is it that anyone can be faithful in a period of time of waiting, unless it's built on a relationship? I think the human mind and the human heart is far too fleeting and frail to be content, to be perseverant, if not for a love relationship. It has to be a relationship of significant love, significant worth, significant value in your
1: heart to be so enduring. So waiting is relational. Waiting is also
0: emotional. Anyone who's been in a significant relationship, and perhaps you're not as an emotional person as others, but it does evoke an emotion even if you don't bring it to
1: the surface. We read about, throughout the scripture, Job. We read about the Psalms.
0: We read in the Psalms. We read in Proverbs We read in Ecclesiastes, man after man after woman after woman in the scriptures evokes emotions. Why? Because the emotions are the very heart of who we are in our human being, but also in our human spirit. Or in our spirit, if you will. It is an emotion that compels you to worship God. Yes, it's also the spirit, and it's also faith, and it's also hope, but that is expressed in emotion. And emotion is created by God, and it's created for God, and it's also created for us to express our love for God and our love for others. Amid other expressions, the emotion is how we express how we feel, what we think, how we serve, what we do, how we humble ourselves before the Lord in prayer or worshiping him in loudness and abundance. Emotion is a very good thing given from God. It is the ability to express ourselves. And it does get emotional, especially when you're waiting day after day, after week after week, month to month, year to year. And some people wait in this way in
1: suffering, physical suffering, mental suffering, circumstance, what have you. And it is
0: in this waiting that it will draw out every single thought that you have about the waiting, every single fear that you have about the waiting, and more so what really is the true longing of your heart from this waiting. Waiting will also prove what you believe and or what you do not believe because it'll draw it out of you. But God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And while he says that, he never says to us today, specifically how long we must wait or what the answer is going to be in the waiting. If we have this question for God or we have this longing for God in a certain area of our life or we just have longing to be with the Lord,
1: he doesn't say how long. Hence the value of the waiting, and hence the worth, hence the purpose. When all of this strips
0: away all your idols, all your lesser loves, all your cheap desires in the waiting, God uses the long-suffering waiting to refine that at your core. When everything else is stripped away or revealed that the deep and greatest longing in your heart is really for God himself. You may know that and you may not know that. And if you're a believer, then you do know that, but you may have head knowledge, but you don't understand it in your heart. You don't feel it emotionally. But God will use the process of long waiting or long suffering waiting to affirm that in you that there is nothing in this world which will satisfy the longings in your heart,
1: the deepest longings in your heart, except for God. And regardless of the answer you seek,
0: regardless of the method of the answer, regardless of what may come in the worldly circumstance or explanations of the past, If you desire God himself, then you desire all your heart truly longs for, and you desire that which outshines any other request, which will fade quickly from view. And when you remember that you are, again, only alive on earth at this minute because of God's pleasure, and when his desire is for your life on earth to end, it will In a moment, because God is in charge of all things at all times. He holds the keys of life and death, of heaven and hell.
1: But when you remember this, you can hold firm in the waiting.
0: Matthew 7 24 says, The man who built his house on the rock endured. The rock of God. The man who walks on the straight and narrow path which leads to life, Matthew 7 14.
1: And Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him hear. There is only one who fulfills the deepest longings of the hearts of men.
0: There's only one who grasps your heart and stirs it in the Holy Spirit. There's only one who fascinates your mind and compels your body to emotion. When you feel the Holy Spirit, when you hear the testimony of Jesus Christ, when you hear of someone changed by Jesus Christ. Oh, folks, our God is active, and our God is always at work. He is purposely building his kingdom. And as he invites us into what he is doing in this, as he calls us to walk by the Spirit and live by the Spirit, to preach the gospel he looks down and
1: he sees your suffering. He sees it. He sees you. He knows you. He knows what you're going through. He knows that you've been going through it for a long time. And he
0: sees you grieving for that family member who died.
1: That best friend who died. That friend who died. And he knows that has changed you. And God sees your brokenheartedness
0: and I'm very much affirmed of his compassion on each
1: one of his children. He sees you. He knows you. He knows what you feel. He knows what you think. He knows your questions. And he asks us to wait. And we must wait. The people on the ark had to wait. Eight humans. And by all
0: accounts, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds if perhaps not thousands, of
1: creatures. But the humans, well, and the creatures, didn't have a choice. They had to wait.
0: They had to trust God every single day, even when every single day, I am quite sure, felt the same. They had to trust God When they were stuck in a small space with each other day in and day out in a mostly dark place? When it was raining on the earth, you know how when you only have a few windows into your home or your office or wherever you're at and it's sunny? Then you have a decent amount of light. You know how when it's a dark, stormy day that you have very little light coming from outside? Thank God for electricity. They didn't have that. If they only had a small window or small windows at the very top of the ark, imagine how dark it was in the ark, especially for the 40 days of rain on the earth.
1: Very dark. Their relationships with each other, those eight, were put to the test. Because, again,
0: they didn't have a choice. No one could say, I'm done here, I'm fed up, I'm so upset with you, other person, because of this. I'm leaving, I'm walking out, I just need a break. No, they couldn't go outside the ark. One, they were shut in. Two, if they did, they would die. And this was God's means of saving them. They had to wait on the Lord. They had to wait with each other. Did they get upset with each other? Oh, yeah, I'm sure that happened. Did they get in arguments with each other? Oh, yeah, I'm sure that happened. Did they have fears? Oh, yeah,
1: I'm sure that happened. Did they have questions like, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Yeah, I'm sure that happened. And yet they were forced to wait on the Lord. So how did they wait on the Lord? What was their tone? What was their posture? What was in their heart? What was in their mind? We don't know, but thank God we do know that Noah was a
0: righteous man, Genesis 6 verse 9, blameless in his generation and that he walked with God. And he had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Noah was in relationship with God. We can derive that his family was also in relationship with God, had respect for God, had love for God. We see their faith for God in the ark. We see their faith for God in being with Noah in the building of the ark, in the collecting of the creatures as God designed and God called Putting them into the ark, gathering enough food for over a year, obviously, into the ark. And then walking into the ark themselves. We know they had faith. And that is part of how you can wait and have contentment and perseverance in the waiting. But we don't have a lot more details in chapter 8 about how they waited
1: in the ark. So let me ask. How do we wait? Do we wait well, by God's measure? Do we wait with thanksgiving?
0: Do we wait with praise of God? Do we wait in love for God? Or do we turn to the side and compel all the people to give up their gold jewelry and have the high priest melt it all into a golden calf to worship that instead of God? Do we get distracted and turn to sin because we think of the cheapest way that it might satisfy us? Do we forget the words of our God, mighty in power, mighty indeed, the great provider,
1: the life sustainer? Brothers and sisters, I compel you, do not lose heart. Waiting is very challenging.
0: Again, it will draw out that which is inside of you, that which you hide on the surface. It will draw it out. It will draw it out. And whatever's inside, whatever you're really feeling, whatever you're really longing for, the desires inside of you will come out at the least between you and God. And as we wait to be physically united with God in heaven, We are to walk with him now on earth in the waiting. Read the promises of God in his scripture. Be reminded that the Lord, what? He keeps his promises. Read the covenants of God and be reminded, what? He is faithful to his covenants. Remember that you are fully loved by God. Therefore, you don't need to look to your family for your identity. You don't need to look to your job for your identity. You know who you are because God loves you. So now you're free to love your family openly and without restraint or precondition because you are now God's light to show the way of love to them in the waiting.
1: See, for your family, for your friends, but much more so for your family, they too must wait. Everyone must wait. And when we look to the
0: Son, when we look to Jesus Christ, he gives us the light of life. He gives us the direction. He gives us all the love that we are looking for in this world. He gives us all the identity that we're looking for in this world. He compels us to himself. And how does he do that? By the Spirit. And once we know that our love is made complete in God, once we know that our identity is made complete in God, we'll stop looking for it in the world. And at that point, we can be a preacher of the gospel to our spouse. We can be a preacher of the gospel to our children. We can be a preacher of the gospel to our relatives. Because we're not chasing that which the world is chasing anymore. We're not chasing our identity in this world. We're not chasing status in this world. We're not chasing to buy all the new clothes and all the new home furnishings and all the new cars and all the new stuff.
1: Because guess what? that also will never satisfy the human heart god will satisfy psalm 27:14
0: says wait for the lord be strong let your heart take courage wait for the lord psalm 37:7 says be still before the lord and wait patiently for him Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. See, sometimes we wait and then we look over here and we see this guy or this girl is doing evil and they're being blessed, so called blessed in the eyes of the world. They have fame, they have money, and they're doing evil over and over again. Or perhaps they're not. Specifically, doing quote-unquote evil, but they're living apart from God. They profess no faith in God, and they have everything materially that I don't.
1: And the psalmist says, Be still and wait for the Lord patiently.
0: Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Psalm 39, 7 says, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait?
1: My hope is in you. It lends a deep perspective, folks, that we are all waiting
0: for something. Even the pagans are waiting for something. Even the atheists are waiting for something. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait?
1: What is there to wait on of any worth, of any value? My hope is in you. Proverbs 20, 22 says, do not say I will repay evil.
0: Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. You may feel oppressed. You may feel wronged. Someone sinned against you. Someone did wrong against you. But God says he is the judge. He is the one who will repay evil. Instead, wait on the Lord. That the Lord, who is the one lawgiver and judge of the entire universe of all known creation, he is also the one who will handle it with justice. And that we are to be obedient children and wait for the Lord and look to the Lord
1: and trust the Lord that he will handle those things. Isaiah 40 28 says, Have you not known?
0: They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and
1: not faint.
0: And here's what I take from Isaiah 40, 28 through 31 right there. If you have physical limitations, it's not talking about you here on earth being completely
1: physically perfect, having boundless energy, It's saying, the Lord will give you the strength to wait on him. Even when the world says, by the world's definitions, you shouldn't wait on the Lord. Just come over
0: here and do this thing, which is pagan. Just come over here and do this thing, which is, in your eyes, sinful. Why do you hope in God? the world wonders because the world has no regard for God. And God says, I have chosen you, my son, my daughter. You will be my people. I will be your God. I am faithful to my promises. I'm faithful to my covenant. And I will give strength to those who wait on me.
1: Strength for the waiting. Strength for your faith strength for your hope
0: for the future. The yes, God hears you. Yes, God sees you. Yes, God knows what you're going through. Yes, God is with you. Yes, God will carry you through what you're enduring. Yes, God is with you in the long suffering and in the hardship and the physical pain. And in the very hard days, God is with you and God knows, and God understands, and maybe you've had a longing for your whole
1: life for something to change. And I'm telling you, God knows.
0: And I think one of the most pivotal issues in the Christian life, some Christians perhaps more than others, is they wonder if God knows what they're going through or perhaps has forgotten them or doesn't care. And I'm telling
1: you that is not the case with our God. God knows everyone he has created. And God cares immensely about what you're going through. And God calls you in that to follow him and to wait on him.
0: James 5, verse 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. How long? Until Jesus returns. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Look at that word, establish. Think of the word establishment, not like business, not like a, a shop or a storefront, not, not, not like that. Establishment, I've always thought of that word as a very firm foundation. Establish,
1: to fix, affix your heart on God. For the coming of, Lord, of the Lord, James 5 says, is at hand.
0: God's kingdom is coming, folks. And it's also here in so many respects. That God is building his church. That God is saving people day by day, minute by minute, second by second on the earth. And choosing them and pulling them to him in relationship with him and saving them forever. Forever they will be with us forever forever. We will be with them, people of all races, all ethnicities. There will be no more racism, no more prejudice, no more
1: division. Because God unites us in him. And he says, establish your hearts on him. We have the Holy Spirit. That is the other aspect of the
0: kingdom now. But of course, the kingdom of heaven is also, and greater so, of course, to come. And that is why we hope, and that is what we're waiting for, is the fulfillment of God's kingdom and Jesus' second coming, his return. God remembers, It says in chapter eight, verse one, God remembered Noah and God remembered the people in Egypt. It said that he remembered the people in Egypt and then he delivered them out of Egypt. And folks, God remembers us. And he remembers his promise that Jesus will come again and will make all things new. And he'll make all things right
1: because he is a God of justice because he is a good God. The last passage
0: on waiting, I want to open to Matthew 25. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there, Matthew 25, verse one. Jesus says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them are foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept.
1: But at midnight, the middle of the night, there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those
0: virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. They prepared their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise,
1: I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. It's
0: Matthew 25, verse 1 through 13. A couple of notes on this passage, just for clarity. Jesus is not talking about polygamy uh, on its face there. I feel like I should address that. That a bridegroom would take five virgins or what have you, or multiple wives. He's describing what the kingdom of God is like. This is an analogy. It's something practical. Jesus often spoke in parables, which is common to the rabbis of the Jewish time. It's stories, it's examples. Because Jesus said, for those who have ears to hear, let them hear. He was speaking in parables so that those who could understand would understand. The whole aspect of the kingdom of God is coming at a day when nobody knows. Kind of like eight people on the ark. They didn't know exactly how long it was going to take. Perhaps God said that to them. Perhaps not. We don't see it in scripture specifically. But he says, be ready. He says, be faithful. There's multiple, 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 multiple parables in the Gospels of Jesus talking about the kingdom of God and being so prepared. Be doing the will of the Father when the Father comes. Be faithful when the Father comes. Be faithful to the end. You can persevere to the end. Those who think, I have all the time in the world. I'm just going to worry about how I see God and how I view God at the end of my life before I die because, you know, God can save me then and then, uh, then I'll be with him and, and that's, you know, that's fine for me. No. Jesus warns severely against taking that mentality. And this passage here in Matthew 25 is one clear example of that
1: that those who are faithful, God will bring in and they will be with him forever. And that those who are not,
0: those who do not profess faith in him, those who do not by their works reflect their faith in him because James warns about that too. says faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by works is dead. Are you saved by your works? No, you're not saved by your works. Bible is very clear on that. But it does say that by your faith, your works will glorify God. Not perfectly, but it will have a pattern
1: of belief in God. Consistency with faith in God. So do not lose sight of our God who is the most important. The
0: trials of this earth will be with us, always. But God is more concerned with transforming our hearts to be expectant and excited about the coming of the kingdom of God, about the fulfillment of the kingdom of God, than he is about turning them into pleasantness in this earthly time. He's more concerned about having our hearts than about giving us utopia on earth, as it's called. He's more focused on having a very personal relationship with each of us individually and simply
1: leaving us to be distracted with the things of this world. And the waiting is not easy, but it is good. So let us wait on the Lord in patience and in thanksgiving, in prayer and in hope. And God himself will carry us through.
0: God himself will give us the strength, as it says in Isaiah 40, to not faint or grow weary, but that he shall give us strength renewed, to mount up with wings like
1: eagles, to run and not be weary, to walk and not faint. Let us wait on the Lord because of his great love for us. Let's pray.
0: O Lord our God, the faithful one of Israel, the one who keeps your promises, who keeps your covenants, who is oh so faithful to your people, the one who loves us completely and knows us completely. You know our fears, you know our sufferings, you know our pain, you know our grief. And your scripture says that you're close to the brokenhearted, and that you will always be with us, that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you know your children, that you care about your children, that you have made us in your image, and that is how much you care about us. Let us not lose sight, Lord. Let us renew our strength in you, Lord. That we ask this of you in prayer, to renew our strength renew our endurance so that we can persevere, so that we can hope in you, and that our faith would be ever more strong in you. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Join me next time as we continue in the story of Noah in Genesis chapter eight.